And uh, <clears throat> we were talking about the ages to come last week, a little bit about that, and a little bit about uh, assurance of, of, of salvation and things and the blessings of the Lord. And we're going to kind of continue with that. We didn't get that finished, which is okay. Uh, we're going to continue. I titled this Trophies of His Grace. And because that's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to get the message that he is trying to get to the Ephesians and therefore through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost get to us that that's what we are to be as trophies of his grace. Uh, that's why he saved you for you to honor and glorify God and for your life to uh, to honor and glorify the Lord. And that's that's why the Lord saved you. Amen. And uh, we thank God for that. Brother Andrew, is everything working OK with that? Coming in OK? Good. We switched here. We, we, we switched the Internet over to our uh, devices now, and I got rid of the Internet here because it was cost us $140 a month that we really didn't need to spend because we we're already using a mobile uh, Internet. So had to cut some expenses. Amen? And uh, so that was good. But Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, let's read verse uh, 4 through 7 here. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Father, we pray you bless us now. Give us wisdom and guidance. Help us to apply the Word of God to our hearts and our minds. And uh, help it to move us and strengthen us and teach us. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We pray for anyone not saved here that they would come to Christ. And under the sound of my voice that they would come to Christ who is to know life everlasting. And Lord, that you'd strengthen your people here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. It is God's kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. We talked about that in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ is how we receive that. And you are to most certainly take encouragement from Ephesus. The history of, of the Lord's churches since the days of the apostle proves how God has fulfilled the design involved in the dispensation of mercy. It is the streams of grace that have flowed more or less freely and fully in every age. God has been merciful to us. And that is the true subject of all biblical preaching. Not mere moral counsels. We are not philosophizers. We, are, we don't just give moral counsel. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach the grace of Almighty God. That it is God's grace that you are partakers of. That you are partakers of His grace. That God has given that as you are saved by the grace of God. That is, that is the true subject of all preaching. It is a most noble text, a, a, this verse. And it can be preached uh, in all ages. For the ages to come, it can be preached the grace of God. The, the exceeding richness of His grace. You know, we really need to talk about that a lot more uh, because really uh, the church, when we're together, uh, as we're going to find out when we eventually get to Ephesians chapter four, we talk about the purpose of the church and it is for the edification of the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's why we assemble together is for us to be strengthened. 
You know, for us to be, there are preachers that, that uh, they preach the God, they preach gospel messages every, every service, but they don't preach the Bible to instruct their people of how to grow in the Lord. Now, I believe the gospel uh, will be in every message if you're a Bible preacher, it just will be. It's going to be a part of, Spurgeon said that if you don't, have, if, you, if there's no gospel in your message, then go home because you have nothing to preach at all. If you don't preach Christ, you have nothing to preach. Go home, right? And that's true, right? We preach Christ and Him crucified. So the gospel will always be a part of Bible preaching. It will always, it will always be there. It will always be uh, included in that. However, the saints need to learn the Bible. They need to be preached. The Bible needs to be preached to them, and they need to learn it verse by verse, and they need to be strengthened by the Word of God. This, is what, this type of preaching is what is to strengthen you in, their, in your faith. It is to build you up in your most holy faith. It is to strengthen you. That's what God's people need. Back about, I think, five or six years ago, the Lord really dealt with me about that. I switched a lot of things over, and I do a lot of my extra stuff on broadcasts and things like that. In the pulpit, I preach mostly straightforward expository preaching or you know, preaching on doctrine or history and things of that nature, Baptist history at different times. But, but really, we preach right now in the mornings, we're preaching through Proverbs, and you're learning about raising children and being parents that God wants us to be through the book of Proverbs. It's really just, I mean, we've been in Proverbs chapter 5 for, I don't know, six weeks probably if we were there. And so we're preaching through that, right? Why? Because it will build you. It will grow you. It'll help you grow. It'll strengthen you. It'll teach you what God wants you to know. Is when you slow down and you take a look at it, that's what will build your faith. It'll see. This is all. This is God uses this book to build your faith. You're not and through trials, right? Coupled with trials, that's how your faith grows. It doesn't grow when everything is easy and simple and you're never challenged. No, it grows when you, when you look in the perfect law of liberty and, and, and you see Christ and then you see yourself. And then you grow by, by looking unto Jesus. You don't grow by looking unto yourself. We grow by looking unto Jesus. We look at that which is perfect to become more like him. Amen? That's what God wants. That's why he gave you this book, by the way. That's why he gave you a church. That's why he gave you a pastor for the edification of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Right, that you be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. God wants you to be stable. He wants you to be a strong and stable Christian. That's what God wants for every single person here, is for them to be a strong and stable Christian, whether you're a child that got saved as a child or whether you're an adult or whether you're an old man. God wants you to be stable, a stable, strong Christian. He wants to establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's what the scriptures do. That's what the preaching does. But you've got to grow up and take your medicine. You've got to grow up and eat your vegetables. You can't have all desserts. Right? It'll spoil you. You've got to have, you got to have good Bible. and You've got, you got to be strengthened by it. And you've got to be uh, reproved and rebuked and exhorted to be the people that God wants you to be. This is what biblical preaching does. This is the design of it. Right? The ultimate design of God is to manifest His own glory. That's, that's the ultimate design of God, is to manifest His own glory. That's like God saved you so you would be trophies of His grace. So you, that's why God didn't save you just to snatch you out of hell. Praise God. 
He did save us and snatch us out of hell. Amen. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank God for his grace. But it's so you'll be a trophy of his grace. So you will, so you will manifest his grace. So you will show forth his grace in your life. And your life affects somebody else. It means something. That's why God did that. That's why, that's why he saved you. Not the mere glory of his power and wisdom, but of his abounding grace and mercy. That one object of the conversion and salvation of sinners is to furnish a proof of the mercy and goodness of God. Another object is that their conversion may be an encouragement to others. We are not an island unto ourselves. The fact that such sinners as the Ephesians had been were pardoned and saved affords encouragement also to others to come and lay hold on eternal life. And so of all sinners who are saved, our testimonies are not to simply do us good. I, you hear from time to time people that you'll meet out on the street and they say they're a Christian and they're living like hell. They've got no good example. They've got no good testimony. They don't, they, their life does nothing. And you have to wonder about that. Like, well, why doesn't, why doesn't your life bring God glory? Amen. Why doesn't your life, you say you're a child of God, why doesn't your life bring God glory? Wouldn't that bother you? If your life did not bring God glory or lead men to Christ or be a part of leading men to Christ or be an example to believers or be example of the loss of how they can be saved, Right? Right where you are at every station of life, whether you're a, a mother at home with a wife and a mother at home with your children, or you're, a, or you're single, or you're an old man, or you're a young it doesn't really matter. Your life as a child, your life ought to bring glory to God. If God saved you, then it, it ought to bring glory to God. People ought to know that. It ought to do that. Your, your, your conversion should be an encouragement to others. The fact that such sinners can be saved, right? Take the Apostle Paul's testimony. He preached it everywhere and shared it everywhere what Jesus did for him. And we as men have opportunity to take our testimony and do good. But if you're not a good testimony, you better get your heart right with God. And your fellow man, because if you don't, and you tell men Jesus saved you, they might look at you and say, well, how come you're not any different? How come your life isn't any different? How come you run around and, and act like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world? Why do you do the same things if Jesus saved you? That's why you have a world of people today that believe Christianity doesn't make it. That's why you have a bunch of liars that can say they're Christians. Like I talked about today on my broadcast, uh, these Christian rappers like Lecrae and, 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 all the, and those guys. Right? You ever heard of him? No? Good. Oh, Christian rappers? Yeah, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But think about that, right? Here are these guys, right? And they, their lives don't... 
they they run with the world they're cussing they're doing drugs they're running around they're living immoral lives they're preaching with people that are they're hanging out with people that are wicked and vile before god that doesn't sound like a trophy of his grace does it i would want to do what the apostle paul said examine yourselves whether you be in the faith no you not lest you be reprobate Right? I, I would want to, I would, I would, that would bother me. I would want, I, I would, I would want my life, I do want my life to honor God. I do want my life to be a testimony and a trophy of His grace to bring other men and other women and others to the faith, right? Or to strengthen them in their faith. That ought to be a part of your life. You're not your own. You're bought and paid for with a price if you belong to Christ. That means that you ought to care what your, what your life shows to others it ought to matter to you it goes into every fiber of our being and affects everything that we do it affects our lives and it should affect the lives of others none of us are perfect we all fall short but there should be a clear distinction to what we were before salvation and what we are now that ought to be clear if we ever reference ourselves as sinners it should always be coupled with saved by grace and it ought to show. And people ought not have to guess at that. Amen. They ought not have to guess at that. And that's what Paul is saying, that he saved you to, to bring honor and glory. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. If the grace of God was truly bestowed upon you, there's evidence of it. Amen. Their conversion is a standing encouragement to all others to come in like manner. That's what it ought to do. That's what your life ought to do. That's what my life ought to do. It ought to be an encouragement to others. The conversion of great sinners is a special proof of the divine benignity. So Paul argues in the case before us, and so he often argued. He said, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul said, My whole life was a spectacle. <laughs> it, was a, it was a spectacle of his grace. He said, Jesus said to him, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake that men would see his life and what Paul had went through. And it would be a spectacle. It would be a trophy of his grace. And he would, people would see it. And it would affect them greatly. That ought to be your life and my life. Maybe not to the same degree as his, but in the same manner. Because that's what he said. Look what he said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. When God saves a great sinner, it is an encouragement to all around that Jesus is well able to save others, the vilest of sinners. And God gets the glory for it. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. It reminds me of, of Swearing Jack Waller. He was a uh, separate Baptist. Swearing Jack Waller was over in Virginia. And as, as a separate Baptist, 
he was a, before he was a separate Baptist, he was a wild man. And he was known by his bar fights and his going in and out, his swearing and his, his carousing and his life. Well, he had a head-on collision course with the Holy Ghost and got saved one day. And he was no longer swearing Jack Waller. He became, he became John Waller, the Baptist preacher. And it's funny because after he was saved and after he started preaching, man, everybody liked him when he was swearing Jack Waller. He had a lot of worldly friends when he was swearing, Jack. But you know, when he started preaching, you know what they did to him? They grabbed the butt end of a bullwhip, and they went up on stage, grabbed him by the hair, and busted him in the face with it. Pulled him down, grabbed him by the hair, pulled him off the pulpit, grabbed him down there, threw him out, and was beating him up. They threw him in jail. The standing order Anglicans threw him in jail over in, over in Virginia many times. He was one of the 40 imprisoned Baptist pastors that, were, that was over there, and they threw him in prison. Uh, many times he sat in jail for 30 days at a time. I think one time he was there for two or three months for preaching, right? Hard to believe, isn't it? I think he commented once on that. He said something to the effect of that, that they all loved me when I was swearing Jack Waller, but when I became John Waller, the, the preacher, and I started preaching, they threw me in prison for it. Somebody commented. I'm not sure if it was him, but it was somebody uh, during his time frame. I think it was about him. And, but they would, they would beat those Baptist men. They'd get saved, and their lives would change. Swearing Jack Waller's life completely changed. He was a different man. And the Lord used him. He started many churches, won many people the Lord. Right? Men like Patrick Henry had to come along and get him out of jail. He was a patriot. He was a, a, he was a man that believed in individual soul liberty. and He wasn't a Baptist, but he, he was pretty close. <laughs> he was a lawyer. And he pulled up there and he, he, the, a group of those men were in jail for preaching the gospel and he he went and represented them and he just shamed those anglicans so much they had to let him go the whole courtroom because he just he said he asked them why they were in jail and they and the 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 attorney said for preaching and he said he said for preaching the son of god and he yelled at him like three times like he just kept yelling it over to him for preaching the son of god and they just like they just let him go they lowered their heads they felt like the little devils that they were. He, may, he just shamed them with that. And they let them go. They let those preachers go. They're like, you threw them in jail for preaching the Son of God? But you know what? Their lives meant something. They were trophies of God's grace. Men knew where they stood. Right? You know, I'll tell you something. Before men hear from you and hear boldly from you, the, your, your crimes as a lost man or your life as a lost man, your new life in Christ ought to be mo more notorious than the, than the old man's life. Right. It, ought to, it ought to be louder. It ought to speak louder. I'm not saying you can't preach the gospel to people. What I'm saying is, is that if men better see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, they better... They better see that when you tell them that you're a Christian. They better be able to tell. It better be pretty evident. Amen. Mark it down, friend. The world loves its own, but when you get saved, the world will hate you. 
They loved Saul of Tarsus, but when he became the Apostle Paul, they kept trying to kill him. It's like what one preacher said. That's the problem with modern preachers today. No one wants to kill them. Well, they want to kill some of us, but <laughs> some of us they want to kill. <laughs> there's, there's a few in there. They do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're doing it wrong because they don't want to kill you, right? I used to say that to Paul all the time. If we do it right, we just might lose our head. I still say it. If we do it right, we, just, we might just lose our head. Amen. Come on, man. This world's getting wicked. It's getting worse. And true Christians have to shine. They've got to be distinct. They've got to shine for the Lord. They've got to be lights that shine bright. All of us. Just as these Ephesians are an everlasting example of God's grace for the ages to come. That was 2,000 years ago, and they are still an example for you and I. And we need never forget that. We must always keep these things in our remembrance. And remember that encouragement for our lives comes from the Lord. It comes from His Spirit and it comes from His Word. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This book is our example, amen? God gave us some things to strengthen us. So our lives would shine for Him. You have to ask yourself that question. Do you want your life to shine for Christ? You didn't just get saved, did you, just so you could live like that you could be saved from hell and you don't care about how you live? That isn't salvation. I don't say that a man's not afraid of hell, because he should be. You ought to be afraid of hell. And you ought to be afraid of going there. Nothing wrong with that. But that's the beginning. That's the seed, right? The maturity of that is, is to live a life for Christ and really want to. Now, you don't understand all that when you first get saved. I'm not saying that. But you ought to, the longer you're saved, you ought to understand that your life is to mean something for the Lord. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I, it doesn't bother me when men, when, when men trust Christ and they run from hell. <laughs> Good. Good. Amen. But there's going to be fruit to that. And your life is going to grow. That seed is going to grow. It's going to grow strong. Our, salvation is not a dead end. It's the beginning of everlasting life. Amen. Do you understand that? It's not a dead end. It's the beginning of everlasting life. That's, I, I didn't get saved uh, as a dead end. I mean, it wasn't the end of like, okay, well, I'm just like hanging out till I go home. There's people out there that believe that. They're just like, well, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, really? It don't look like it. Are you afraid to tell people that? Man, I ain't. I look at him and tell him the truth. Because, I see, I was lost before. <laughs> and I was living under a false conversion. Not, not on purpose. I didn't, like, plan it that way or anything. But it's just I was, right? And, I, and I, I thank God some preacher told me. And it, and it wasn't. He didn't specifically tell me that it was me. He preached it. And the Holy Ghost told me it was me. He said, that's you. Ooh, that is me. Amen. But salvation is the beginning of everlasting life. The day you get saved is the beginning of everlasting life. It starts then. And you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Not to get saved. Christ did that. 
but to be his disciple, to follow him. You ought to have that desire. It ought to be there. You ought to have a desire that your life honors God. That, that should be a part of every Christian. That, that now I'm saved, I'm a child of God, now my life should honor God. I should, I, I should like nobody's forcing me to live this Christian life. I'm not like, man, I got to go do this. Oh, I got to go do this. I was like that when I was lost. Man, I got to do this. I don't get to have what I want. Amen. And then the Lord saved me and changed me. And then it's like, okay. You're not your own. You're bought and paid for with a price. Therefore, what does he say? Glorify God in your body. You're to glorify God. It's very simple, I understand. It's probably, you, you, might, you might feel today that it's too simple, tonight that it's too simple, but it really is necessary. They're necessary reminders for our lives, for our walk with God. It's necessary to continue to, to uh, encourage you to continue on. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensembles, and they are written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. These are all warnings. There's some serious warnings. If I was you, I'd look at those warnings. I'd look at each specific one. I'd probably take a pen out or a piece of paper out sometime or however you write, and I'd probably write down each one of these warnings. Because there's a number of them here. And they fit every category of a Christian that you will go through. And they were written for our admonition of what Israel went through. And I would study these and say, Lord, please help me. Well, look what he says here. Need to be idolaters. Right? Neither let us commit fornication. Neither let us tempt Christ. Neither murmur. As some of them murmured. You complainer? Complain about what God does for you? That's not a trophy of his grace. That doesn't show the grace of God. You're complaining about God, the life God's given you. When, by the way, if you're, if, you, if you're busy complaining about your life and you have this steady complaint about your life, you do realize it's your fault, right? Like it's nobody else's. You made your own bed. And now you're mad because you have to sleep in it. Amen. You got there on your own. Because when you obey God, these things don't continue and your, and your attitude changes. 
But anyway, he goes through all those things and he gives you those four main points of things that are dangerous that, that believers can fall into. I think they'd be important for us to really take a look at that, right? Make sure that we don't fall for those things. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know what he's saying? You better remember these four things, because one of these categories will bring you down. Because all those sins are in, in four of those categories. All those things that happen to those Israelites can happen to you. you. Sometimes you look back at the Old Testament, you think, ah, those guys were really bad. We're not that bad. Those guys are, I mean, look what they did. They like, they, they worshiped. They made a bull and they bowed down to it. We'd never do that. Really? You ain't never built up an idol in your life and bowed down to it? Gave yourself over to it? Oh, you didn't fashion one with your hands. You did it with your imagination. With your mind. With what you wanted. I'm not really planning on preaching on that, but I really want to right now. Because my little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why did John say that? Same reason why Paul said it. Same reason why it's in the commandments. You can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can imagine those things in your mind in the chambers of your imagery. And you can build up idols in your mind. When you don't put God first, you've already done that. And we do that all the time. And we, we do it all the time. Our, we just don't walk around, you know, with like a statue of a bull. So you're not, nobody can see, nobody can see my idol that I build up in my mind. Nobody can see the idol because you're not walking around with an apis bull, right? I mean, you're not doing that. Yours is in here. Mine's in here and nobody can see it, right? That's why he warned you against it. Amen. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. Tempting God. They tempted God. They tempted Christ. Do you like that? He said, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. It says they tempted Christ. How'd they tempt Christ? They tempted God. That's a verse for the deity of Christ. You see that? You learned that on accident. You weren't even planning that, right? Isn't that amazing? On purpose from God, on accident from you and I, right? <laughs> anyway. He warns us, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You're not above any of those things that are on that list, and neither am I. That's why you're to take heed to these things. See, in your mind, you should never say, I would never do that. Oh, no, don't do that. No, no, no. That's coming from a source of arrogance. Really? You don't believe you're ever capable? Well, Paul said you're capable of, like, all of these things. Right there. You and I, we are capable of all these things. Because they fell, and neither be like them. They're written for our admonition. So we don't do that. And you and I are capable of that. So then what do we do? We, we pray. We take heed lest we fall. We take heed to these things that are these warnings. Well, don't ignore scriptural warnings. Don't think you're the exception to the rule. 
don't think you're the exception like this could never happen don't don't do that don't live your life don't live your christian life like that christian lives are lived on purpose and if they're lived haphazardly you will pay for it because you are not judged with the world you're judged by god so the world they can get away with their haphazard living because they're going to die and go to hell you're not you're going to get judged here you're going to be chastened here we are chastened of the lord yet not killed right we are chastened by him you will get chastened here for what you do you're not going to wait till they're going to hell you're getting chastened here you just remember that (laughs) you're going to get it here because god's not going to let one of his trophies of grace be marred out there and, and to bring dishonor to his life. He's, he's not gonna, he didn't save you for that. Just like David had the fourfold judgment of God upon him because he did what he did. And God chastened him in this life for everyone to see. It's not a game. Amen. We are, to, we are an, an eternal exhibit, a display, a demonstration, a show of God's grace. That's what we are to be. That's why he saved you, for you to be a a, a testimony or a trophy of his grace, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God's kindness toward us is salvation. And part of that is sanctification and one day glorification. But here it is justification by faith alone. Amen. And then sanctification, which in my opinion, the two are not separated. I don't mean that your conduct does, always shows that. No, I'm saying in God's eyes, they're, they're right there. Because san- true sanctification comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from you. The ability to live a sanctified life is because of justification. Boy, I hope you believe that. If you don't, you're going to get it. You're going to get a whooping of your life and God's going to show you that it's because you are justified that I kept you. Amen. I can't say that enough to you that God kept you. That's who keeps you. That's who sanctifies you. Yes, you walk in it. You have to walk in the spirit, but it's God. You can't even, you're not even enabled to do it without Christ. You can't. I know that. Like, I can admit that to you fully because when I was lost and I tried to live saved, I made a miserable life of it. Man, was it bad. It was bad. Because I I couldn't be sanctified. You can't be sanctified unless you're justified. You, You can't be. You can try. Man, you can go through the emotions and you can try, but you won't be unless you're justified before God. That's why your focus is always to be Christ. Why? Because he's the justifier. Do you understand that? See, that's, that's how you get into the, that's, I, I hope you're understanding me. <laughs> that's how you get into assurance. That's how your assurance is strengthened. When you focus on Christ's justification of my soul. When you focus on that, then guess what happens? Your assurance grows. Why? Because it's Christ who's the justifier. It's, it's him. It doesn't have anything to do with anything I've ever done. I didn't bring me there. It is Christ. The Bible says we are justified by faith, right? 
Well, faith is the tool that God uses, but the justifier is Christ. I am justified because of Jesus dying for my sins and taking my place. I am justified. Therefore, I am sanctified. That's how it works. That's how, and sometimes your focus gets skewed, and you'll be focusing more on sanctification. <laughs> then you'll try to bring glory to your flesh, and that never works. Amen. It's, I, I hope you understand. You will. You'll, 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 you'll learn. If you don't understand it, you'll learn to understand it. God will show you where you will be dependent on Christ, even to walk with him. You must be by him, through him, for him. Amen. Our children, they're to be trophies as well. But you and I are to be, you know, as you have, when you're the children of God, you're to manifest God's glory. You're to show it. People are to see that, right? Because you have been begotten through the gospel. Just like your children, if you're raising them, should resemble you. I don't mean they have to look like you in that sense. I mean they should resemble your character, your walk, what you teach them, your family. They ought to resemble that. If you've done your work, or if you are doing your work, they will. That's the fruit of it. That's, that's how it works. We are to be trophies of His grace to show off His glory and His grace. When God takes a man and saves him and changes him in the ages to come, he makes him that trophy for the goodness of God for all to see. By ages to come, some may understand the times that were to succeed the apostle to the end of the world. And then the sense of this verse is that God poured out the exceeding riches of his grace upon the apostles and the churches of old to be encouraging examples to the end of the world, which they are. They, they were the offscurring of the earth, right? And so are we, right? When we look at that, but they were our examples. They all died a martyrdom. That's why when I'm out preaching on the when we're all out preaching on the streets and they're like, you need to show more love. You guys don't love anybody. We want to kill you. We want to kill you because you don't love anybody. We hate you, but you're supposed to love. That's what they say to us. That's how, that's how they talk to us. It's like a, the ramblings of a lunatic, right? They just... Right? God loves everybody except you. He hates you. You're going to go to hell. Why does he hate us? Because you're preaching. Because you're mean. That's what they say to us, right? And then we just simply take the record of the apostles and we like, well, I always start with Jesus. I thought, well, what happened to Jesus? You didn't preach like Jesus. So me and Brother Garrick, we turn over there and be like, okay, you're going to pluck your eye out? <laughs> you generation of vipers? That's how Jesus preached. You want me to preach like Jesus? Okay. If thy right eye offend thee, Pluck it out and cast it from thee. Preaching like Jesus. Right? Yeah, you dog. Yeah. Louder dogs. You goya, you dogs. <laughs> you bunch of Gentile dogs. That's what Jesus said. Oh, you can't talk like that. Really? Because, I mean, John the Baptist just literally looked at him and was like, you vipers. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Yeah, why are you here? Why did you even show up? That's what he said to him. Why? And he went out everywhere and preached that men ought to repent. So what'd they do? They killed him. He lost his head. What'd they do to Jesus? They crucified him. Yep. Right? 
What'd they do every time the Apostle Paul tried to preach? Well, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, he was, he was thrown naked into the water, into the deep. They just didn't even give him any clothes. They just threw him in the water. Right? Beaten him, thrown him in prison. Tried to kill him. Did kill him. <laughs> yeah, did kill him, and he rose again, right? God raised him up. He went up to the third heaven, right, and saw things. I believe that was when they stoned him. Yeah. I think that's when that happened. Right, and he comes back in, and he's uglier in a mud fence, and they're looking at him, and they're like... <laughs> I just imagine him walking in town after they saw him. He's got faces all ripped off, <laughs> lips hanging off. I mean, they, they stoned him they, yeah, yeah. in his face. His right? His cheek's probably hanging. Reminds me of that one martyr when they kept beating this martyr. I forget when it was. It was like, uh, I think it was the third century, the fourth century. They kept beating this martyr, man. And he's talking, and, and they're just beating him. And his jaw is like swinging, and they were like, are you going to answer us? And he's like, I can't. You keep striking me. And he couldn't. It's like his jaw was hanging off. So you got to imagine Paul looked pretty ugly. I mean, he was met. Like, but how scared were those people, you think, after they stoned him and he walked back into that city? And he jumps up and he's like, and he takes off back into the city? Oh, man. But if you preach like them, right? If you preach like Paul, you might get stoned. And Paul did get stoned. Remember? Did you hear that rock? Came right by him. Bam! Hit that, hit that sign. Do you have that on video? That sound? You got to We got to That was, that was, I can't believe that hit that big old fat cowboy hat of his. Is that what it hit that one? He said he got hit in the head, but it hit the hat. Yeah, I said it hit him in his, he had that big hat on. What's that? Oh, man, I'm telling you, those stones came by, but you could hear it hit that sign. That was behind him. And I, I looked. I turned around and looked because I didn't even realize it happened. And I turned around and looked. And here's that, here's that bang, that loud sound. And it, they were just throwing rocks at us. The wonderful kids in Northfield. Right? But he didn't lose his head. He, the big old 10-gallon hat saved him. Yeah, stop throwing stones. Yeah, they do. But you know something? When he preached, look what happened. But that showed the grace of God, didn't it? Because he just got up and kept going. They were examples to encourage you that, so if everybody hates the message that you're given, if you take what the world says, well, you must be wrong. You must not be doing it right. Because if you were doing it right, everybody would love. It's like they always forget, well, you do realize they killed Jesus, right? Amen. And like they killed all the, the apostles. Right. They just... And they kept trying to kill Paul till finally they took his head, right? He was beheaded in A.D. 60-something. They beheaded him, right? Killed the rest of him. John was the only one that made it to live to be an old man in A.D. 100 or something like that. They did try to kill him. They stuck him in a boiling pot. and That's not in the scriptures, but it's in the historical record. It says that they boiled him in a pot like a frog and... He jumped out, he hopped out, boing, and he took off and he started running, I guess. He got away. Yeah. That's right. Because God told him he was going to live to be an old, you know, old man. And he did. So that was the grace of God, wasn't it? But they were examples. They were our examples. 
And that's why you can keep going when people hate everything that you say. And as, by the way, as apostasy rises, they're going to hate it even more. Any semblance of biblical Christianity is absolutely hated. It is hated in America today. And the people that will stone you will be the apostate Christians. It won't be anybody professing to be atheist. It'll be Christians. It'll be right? apostate that left the churches and that are or run their churches that are antichrist. Right, they went out from us because they were not of us. That's what they will do. And they will be the ones that will persecute you. Look at Judas. He was. He's the one that put, he's the one that betrayed Jesus. What, he had the truth. He had it right there. What did he do? He walked away. He turned. Right? So, so we have those examples. It's the characters of those whom he, was, he has saved. They were sinners. These Ephesians were sinners, just like you and I. They were the chief of them. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. They were all sorts of different sinners, and such as were some of you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It tells about all of these. They were effeminate men. They were, they were, some of them were, were fornicators and railers and transgenders and all kinds of other things. They don't use those words of transgender, but they were there. They were feminine men. They were abusers of themselves with mankind. Same thing. Nothing's new. All this stuff has been going on for years. All this transgender stuff, you go back to Sybil, you go back to all of the, the history of it. They, in their temples, they all cross-dressed. The, boy, the, the men would dress as women. The women would dress as men. They would do it in the temples, and they would pretend to be a different sex. It is not new, friend. And if you, you can, if you ever want, you can go listen to some of my broadcasts that I've covered that. On the, it's, there's the history of that, of that stuff. It's there. It's real. They were dressing like animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. The same thing they're doing these dogs that, that they had this whole over in, in Britain or someplace like that. Yeah, they go to the schools. That's right. And then there was one with, um, they had this gathering of humans dressed, humans that turned themselves into dogs. Yeah. And I was going to call animal control on them. But... Dog catcher. Is there a hunting season for furries? Wow. We'll hunt them with the gospel. <laughs> Oh, no. It's hard to believe it's real. Like, if you'd have told me 25 years ago there'd be dudes walking around acting like dogs and women running around acting like dogs, they'd be, like, barking at people and sitting there and chewing bones and going into cages and all that kind of stuff. I'd be like, hey, buddy. I would never I would never believe you. I'm going to shut up. What are they, high? What are they, doing acid? Well, they, they, I mean, I did meet a guy that thought he was an orange. Because he was on acid and we told him he was an orange. But, I mean, that's, that I can understand, right? He's high. He's on acid. He's tripping. He thinks he's, I'm an orange, man. That's what he said. I mean, right? So, oh, no. Right? He, oh, no, man. That's what he thought he was. Thought he was an orange. I, I get it. I mean, he was, that kid had everything in his system known to me. And I, I wasn't that experienced with that. So I was just kind of giving him a hard time. My brother's like, you got to stop that, man. You're going to make him go insane. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. I was, it was the coolie in me that has fun with that stuff. So I'm like, oh, I didn't realize it was that real. I guess. 
But anyway, these people actually think they're that, and they're just on demons. Yeah. They're on devils. That's what they're on. They don't. Yeah, they're, they're trained. This is what they are. So they, when they hear what we are, they're going to reject it. They're going to hate it, right? But you know what? They can be saved. Those people can be saved. I don't believe this stuff that people say, well, they're gone too far. They, how do you know anybody's gone too far? You ain't God. You better just preach to them. You preach the gospel to them. God can save anybody. We believe that. So we preach it. There isn't any place I, I, I'd go right up. Man, I'd go to that event. If, we were, if they had one of those events here, we'd go right outside that event and we would preach. I'm not preaching my sermon, Dumb Dogs That Don't Bark, though. I'm not going to preach that one. But I'll, I'll preach a different one. But we, will, we, yeah, we, we were dogs. Or, or you could say from without our dogs in Revelation, so you better get saved. You could, right? You could warn them. Anyway, it's, it's sad. But you know what? They can be saved. And we're to believe that. We're to believe what God says about that. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, the Bible says. Who will have all men to be saved. God wants them to be saved. Now, we know they're not all going to be because they're rejecting God. But we do know that they need to be. And that it's not, God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what he said. He has no pleasure in that. Now, he will laugh at their calamity one day, yes. But he has no pleasure in their death. God doesn't want them to go to hell. He doesn't want that. And as to the blessings given to them, they were sought out. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we were quickened, justified, adopted, sanctified, preserved, and glorified. As to the grace given them, it was suited to their trials. God gives you grace suited for the trials that you're going through. Do you believe that? I'm wondering if you do believe that, because sometimes you, you look like you have such a sourpuss face that I'm, I'm wondering if you really do believe that God gives you the grace that you need to get through the trials that you have. Make a believer out of me when it comes to that, that you actually believe that. Make a believer out of others that you actually believe that, that you actually believe that God gives grace equipped for the trials that he puts you in. That there hath no temptation taken you as but such as is common to man. That God will give you the grace to be able to put up with anything that you go through. Do you believe that? Well, it'll be tested. It'll be tested. Did he not give Abraham the faith that he needed? Did he not give Job the patience that he needed? Did he not give Daniel the integrity that he needed? In the midst of a wicked and perverse and crooked world, Daniel was in Babylon and he did not bow the knee. God gave him what he needed, didn't he? And Paul, he gave him the zeal that he needed. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given unto him, he said. That's why. So God gives you that grace to be a trophy of his grace, to show forth his glory. You have to understand life is bigger than just your little problems and my little problems. Life is bigger than your little pity party. 
It's bigger than that. You need to look around at your responsibilities. You need to look around at the plight of the lost. You need to look around at the plight of your brothers and sisters and the challenges and the trials that they're going through. And you need to think, you need to realize that life is bigger than your own little pity party that you're in. It's bigger than that. You're to show forth the glory of God in your life as a trophy of grace. Not to sit like the world in absolute despair and not shine forth as an example of his grace. That's why he saved you. That in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches and grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By ages to come, some men believe that's to be the future glory. That God bestows various and inestimable blessings upon his people here and that they may see them more perfectly in glory one day. I believe that too. I think it's applicable to that as well. In the ages to come, God will show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. The church will be God's special exhibit or display of his grace to manifest, to demonstrate, to exhibit his glory. God used Pharaoh to show his power. Right? Turn to Romans chapter 9. We're almost done here. Romans chapter 9, verse number 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Right? That's why he raised him up, right? That's why he did what he did. To show forth his power. He uses Christ's rejectors to show his wrath. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse number 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? He used Paul to show his long suffering. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. To show his long suffering. God shows his attributes in people he raises up. He uses the church to show his grace. When Christ was rejected by Israel, he revealed his intent to create the church, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 16. That I, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. He showed forth his glory through his church. That church is a body of believers composed of Jews and Gentiles alike, taken out of the nations by the preaching of the gospel to be a people for his name. In eternity, the church will be God's object lesson to instruct about the exceeding riches of his grace, which encompasses his mercy, his compassion, his pity, his love, his kindness, his long-suffering, his gentleness, and his goodness. Exceeding. To excel. To surpass. To exceed. The character of God was slandered in the garden by the devil. 
when he implied that God is not good and that God is a liar and that God is withholding good things from man. Isn't that the same lie he tells man today? Hey, listen, God's withholding good things from you. Yeah, do what thou wilt. It shall be the whole of the law, right? Just do whatever you want. God's just keeping you from that. That's what the, that's what the uh, occultists teach. Lucifer wanted to bring you the secret knowledge, didn't he? He wanted to be a good old boy and bring you light. And see, you didn't, you didn't, uh, God didn't want you to have that light, that gnosis, right? That understanding. So God, God, Lucifer was really the nice guy because he wanted to give you something. That's what they preach. That's what they teach people. Teach them a lie. That's what all the cults teach. Masonic order. What's the, who's the light of the lodge? Lucifer. That's all of them. So then look at all of them teach the same thing. Just different angles. But it's the same thing. Right. It's, it's the one, right? The light. But it's a false light. It's destruction and damnation. So he, he slandered God in the garden. And he used the same slanderous lie against God to deceive angels before he deceived Eve. He talked them into believing it. Why? Look what John chapter 8 verse number 44 says about him. Jesus says about him. Reminding you about him. Now, here we go. We're going to, Garrick, you remember this one. We're going to preach like Jesus, all right? So you remember this. You help me remember this, okay? Because you're younger than me, so you help me remember this. John 8, uh, 43 to, and 44. This is what we're going to have to do. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. That's, that, now you preach like Jesus, you're going to preach that to people. Right? Because they're of their father, the devil, and the lust of their father they will do. Nope. In the new heaven and the new earth, no one will ever again doubt God's goodness. In the ages to come, God will show his grace to the church. We will learn of God's infinite grace forever. And God will show his grace through the church to the new creation. And one man said it this way, In the eternal age, God will bring forth something new in glory, new riches of himself for those who are one with his well-beloved Son. From eternity to eternity, he displays the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus, this miracle of transforming grace will be the subject of eternal revelation. Throughout the endless ages, God will be unveiling the heavenly throng, what it cost him to send his son to this jungle of sin, and what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to bear our sins at the cross. It is a subject that will never be exhausted. I think this is interesting what he says here, and I, I, I tend to agree with this statement. He says, now it follows that if God will be disclosing this throughout eternity, then we will be learning forever and ever. Like somebody think, well, we'll know everything in heaven. Well, you'll know what God wants you to know in heaven. And God will teach you the rest of all of eternity. You will never stop learning of God. Do you believe that? I do. I, God is totally inexhaustible. Like you can't, he is, learning and knowing God, you, we're never going to know that on this side. We will soak up as much as this book as God allows us to and much as, as we can, but then when we're perfected in eternity, 
we're not in the sense of our bodies being perfect yes and being heavenly in that sense but we're not going to be god you understand that right i'm not going to i'm not telling you that we'll be like him as he is like the son of god as he is right but not the same not the same uh not being god we're not him we're not we're not going to become little gods exactly we're not going to be little gods okay we're not going to be God. We're going to be like him, yes, because we were made in his image, but we're still a created being. Right. We'll never, we'll spend all of eternity learning who God is. The depth of that. The depth of who God is. I mean, I can't even fathom that. I can't, my mind, I hath not, not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man. Right. The things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Right. Like you, you're not, you're going to spend all, you're going to say, what are we going to do for eternity? Learn of God. Like, what, what are we going to do? I mean, like, what are we going to do? Just walk around and like pray all day? What are we going to do? You're, you're going to worship the Lord and you're going to learn who God is for all of eternity. You're, that's what you're going to spend eternity doing. If you don't like learning who God is now, well, you sure ain't going to like it there. You better be sure you're going there. <laughs> if you don't care about learning about God here, why would you go there? Because you're going to spend all of eternity learning who he is. Endless. The exceeding riches, it says, of his grace. Mined out for all of eternity, forever. It's just, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. It's just amazing to me. Like, there's no subject on earth that you and I can even exhaust. Like, really. As, with, a, with, a, with a finite mind that we have, right? We can't even exhaust anything in the Bible. Like, we, we can, I can never, pre- like... You say, well, you could preach this one verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, you preach that, and you could exhaust it. Oh, no, you can't. No. I can't. No. I, I, I can't. I can't teach you everything there is to know about that verse on this side. I can't preach everything in this book on this side. And, and, and I know that because I'm going to spend eternity with the eternal Son of God, and He's going to teach us for all of eternity who God is. That's... That's why he saved you. <laughs> to bring glory to his name and so you could learn of him forever. The breach is repaired. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Christ made the way into the holiest of all. So now we have access to the Father through the mediator, Jesus Christ. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. So you're going to learn of God for all of eternity. The apostles learned while they were on earth from Jesus, everything that they needed to learn. He expounded, he opened up the scriptures. But there's things in heaven, there's things that God didn't tell us here. That doesn't mean this is an incomplete revelation. No, he gave us, his word is perfect and he gave us everything he wanted us to have. There's, there's more to come. There is more to come. There's nothing wrong with that. You're going to stand in the presence of Almighty God and learn of Him. There's more. Well, I can prove that to you by the end of... What does it say at the end of John? What did he say? Let's go there, then we'll go home. Right? We'll go home. We'll go, we'll, we'll go home after this, okay? Not home like heaven, but I mean... <laughs> better, better clarify that. <laughs> here. Here we go. I mean, this is just about what he said here. 
That's how I know what I'm saying is not, is not wrong to you. It's, it's, then went this saying, okay, uh, verse number 24, this is the disciple which testified that these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. 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 So guess what? You're going to spend all of eternity learning what that is. Yeah, not even counting everything else. Amen. Right. Amen. That's the exceeding riches of his glory. That's the exceeding riches of his grace. And that's why God saved you to be a trophy of his grace so he could one day take you to heaven. And then one day you'll know him face to face. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for eternity to get to learn of you. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses and trophies of your grace here. Help us to lead men to Christ. Help us to shine our light bright for you. Use us, Father. If it be your will, use us until we're old, old men, and then take us home. Father, please pour out your grace upon us. Strengthen our hearts. Help us to love you and to seek after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.